Malachi 4, verses 4 to 6, hear the word of the Lord. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Let's pray. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Sometimes I feel very much like I'm out of it because for decades I haven't really watched TV and I rarely see any movies and I've gone to very few concerts and I was out of the States for so many years that I really didn't know the, the up-and-coming preachers and theologians and uh, uh, performers. And so now being back in the States and people refer to famous people and I'm sort of left with the question, is that somebody I should know something about? And I feel like I'm sort of out of it. But even I being so out of it, if I hear a really, really big name, a really big name, I recognize that big name. And I hope that I'm appropriately impressed by whatever this person represents. Well, when we get to this this final section of Malachi, this conclusion to Malachi, which is also the conclusion to what the, the Jewish people call the Book of the Twelve, the the Twelve Minor Prophets. Uh, And it's also, interestingly, the conclusion to our arrangement of the Old Testament in English. We find two of the biggest names in all of biblical history. So, uh, these, these last three verses, in these last three verses, we have cameo appearances by two of the biggest names ever. And so, Uh, If we don't know who these folks are, we really need to know who these folks are because these are two of the the most important characters in the Old Testament. And they appear right at the end here. And their appearance is is sort of like uh, when what we do today, when we have some sort of a presentation and then right at the end we bring in some famous person as as the clincher to the argument, or to the performance, or whatever it might be. And here they are, and they're Moses and Elijah. We meet Moses first. He shows up in verse 4. And the word here is, remember. Remember. Now, even as as in English, here, remember doesn't simply mean to recall, but it means to remember to put it into practice. Uh, we, we do that with our children. Now, remember what I told you. What are we saying to them? We're not only saying, recall it and have it up here. We're saying, when the time comes, put it into practice. And that's what the call is here. Remember the law of my servant Moses. The statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb to all Israel. Now, um, all of God's accusations against Israel that we have seen in Malachi, and we've seen six disputations, most of which have been 
have been accusations against Israel. These all are questions of not remembering God's law. And so it's fitting that at the very end, uh, God says through Malachi, remember the law of my servant Moses. It wasn't, of course, Moses' law. It was God's law given through Moses on Mount Sinai. Now, we saw through this book that they neglected God's law in two aspects. We've seen that there are three types of law in the Old Testament. There's civil law that governed the political body of Israel, but there was no more political body of Israel. They were, they were under the thumb of various superpowers, and so they had trouble putting the civil law into effect, but, but that wasn't their fault. But then there was the moral law about how they should worship God and how they should treat each other. And they they violated the moral law. And then the ceremonial law, which gave the nuts and bolts of worship. And we saw that they were profaning the ceremonial law, the, the temple and the priesthood. And so, on all sides, they were failing to remember the moral law. And one of the, one of the terrible ways in which they, they showed their, their degradation and their falling away from God's moral law was the relationship between parents and children, fathers and children. That had broken down over the centuries, and in a terrible way, there's a prophecy in Ezekiel chapter 5, verse 10, where it talks about that when things get really bad, that... Uh, that the uh, the Babylonians were going to surround Jerusalem and there was going to be a time of hunger and hardship, that they were going to sink to the level of cannibalism in which fathers would eat their children and children eat their fathers. This is, this is shocking. But we can see how far away they are from God's moral law, which says, honor your father and your mother and other statutes regarding family life. Now hold that in mind because we'll get back to this question of the, the fathers and the, the children. It says here that God gave His law through Moses at Mount Horeb. Horeb is another uh, another description of Mount Sinai, where Moses received the law. And it says that this includes statutes and rules. These are basically synonyms, but the idea is that everything that's included in the law, we should recall it all, remember it all. That's what he's saying here. Now, where do we find these? We find these mainly in Exodus, and in Leviticus, and in Deuteronomy. So if you want to know what these laws are, read Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. And also, these laws form the basis of preaching. So so what I do here is I take a section from the Bible and I I preach about it. I, I try to explain it and apply it to our situation. That's what the prophets in the Old Testament did. And they used the law. So they were, they were preachers of the law. Moses was the representative of the one who gave the law. And then the prophets would take that law and apply it to the people and call them back to it. And it says here that this law was for all Israel. And if we go back to Exodus chapter 24, verse 7, and Moses comes and he gives the law to all Israel. And what does Israel say? Israel says, this is great. Whatever the Lord says, we will do. So all Israel received the law. All Israel said, we will obey the law. And all Israel, as we read the rest of the story, failed to obey the law. So here we are at the end of of Malachi, the end of our Old Testaments, with a call, a general call to remember this law that they had long disobeyed. And God would help them in that. Remember what do the prophets do? The prophets help people return to remembrance of the law. 
And so, God is going to send whom? He's going to send a prophet. So verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet. And that's the second big name here. First of all, Moses, and now Elijah. Elijah, and he's called here Elijah the prophet. Now, we have already met Elijah, but we didn't know it yet. If you go back to chapter 3, verse 1, in Malachi, it says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant. And when we looked at that, we saw that God was going to send his messenger, and then he was going to send the messenger of the covenant after the messenger, and the messenger of the covenant turns out to be the Lord himself. But we didn't have a name yet for the messenger who would come before the messenger of the covenant, who is the Lord himself. But now we have his name, and his name is Elijah. His identity is Elijah. I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So this is the second time. First he says, I'll send my messenger, and the messenger will prepare the way for the messenger of the covenant. Now he says, I will send the prophet Elijah, and Elijah will prepare the way for the Lord. For the Lord. Now, if Moses was the representative of the law, Elijah was the representative of the prophets. And if you talk to a Jewish person and talk about their, what we call the Old Testament, they will refer to the law and the prophets as a, as a shorthand way of summing up what's in the Old Testament. So here we have a, a summary. We have representatives of the, of the two great sections. Actually, there are three sections in the Old Testament according to the Jewish division. But, but, but even, they can even sum it up with two, the law and the prophets. And here we have, we have the representative of the law and the representative of the prophets. And Elijah was a prophet during a particularly, particularly rebellious time in the life of Israel. And God sent him to call his people back to himself. Now, it's interesting, the similarities between Moses and Elijah. One's a representative of the law, one's a representative of the prophets, but they both had encounters with God, very special encounters with God on a mountain, on the same mountain, on Mount Sinai. And we could say they both met God on Mount Sinai. Now, um, Elijah, there's another curious thing about Elijah, and that is... If you read his story and ask about how did he die or when did he die, there's this unusual story about the fact that he didn't die, that God intervened to take him to himself, to take him up, and he didn't die. And so the fact that he didn't die left some mysteriousness about him. Where is he? What happened to him? Is he coming back? Could he show up again? So it, it left some, some mystery about this, this prophet, Elijah. And this prediction here in Malachi, that Elijah would come back, produced all sorts of speculation about how this was going to happen. And it was circulating in Jesus' day. Do you remember when, when Jesus asked his disciples, he said, Who do people say that I am? What was the very first opinion? Well, some say that you are Elijah, because they were expecting Elijah to come back. Now, I want you to notice something here, that it says that Elijah would come before the day 
of the Lord. Verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And in our modern versions, when you find the word Lord in the Old Testament with all capital letters, that's the personal name of God. Sometimes we say Yahweh, or they used to say Jehovah. Uh, trying to figure out how to pronounce this word that the Jews will not pronounce. And so we, we use this, all capital letters. So this is the personal name. Elijah is coming, and then the Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. And what Elijah would do would prepare the way. And specifically, he would work on fifth commandment type issues. Fifth commandment type issues. Relationships between parents and children. Because we saw how that had broken down. And it says, verse 6, And he will, he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, and the hearts of children to their fathers. So he will prepare the way by working on these family issues in the life of Israel that had broken down. Renewing a, an experience of the glories of, of the fifth commandment. Now, um, we already saw who the messenger of the co- or the messenger was preparing the way for the messenger of the covenant we saw that he's John the Baptist and we we saw that these verses this verse 1 of chapter 3 that this shows up in the new testament to refer to John the Baptist and now we see again the messenger is Elijah and now we read in the new testament once again that he is John the Baptist let me read that from Matthew Matthew is the next book after Malachi the first book of the new testament and in Matthew chapter 17 Verses 10 and following, the disciples asked him, Then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. And also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. So Jesus clearly identified who is this Elijah who was to come. He is John the Baptist. And then we understand that this is not this exact same Elijah. This is the second Elijah. This is a a new Elijah. And that's John the Baptist who is coming in the spirit of Elijah. And there are interesting parallels between Elijah and his ministry and John the Baptist and his ministry. They both, repeat, they both preached repentance to all Israel. That was their, their message, repentance. They both dressed in camel's hair and wore a leather belt about them. They both lived in the desert. They both had a powerful, vindictive woman as their chief adversary. They both transferred their ministry to the one for whom they were preparing the way at the Jordan River. And they both prepared the way for one who would do great miracles. Because after Elijah, who did some miracles, came Elisha, who did many miracles. After John the Baptist, came Jesus, who did many miracles. Elisha, following Elijah. Jesus, following John. Now, I want you to see something here. It may be so obvious that we don't stop to think how amazing this is and remarkable this is. In the New Testament, in the New Testament, the coming of the Lord in Malachi is fulfilled in the coming of Jesus. And Lord, capital, all capitals, L-O-R-D, capitals, refers to God. And so Malachi says, 
Elijah's coming, and God will follow him. And the New Testament says, yes, that's exactly what happened. The second Elijah came, and he's John the Baptist, and Jesus followed him. What's that doing? That's putting Jesus in the place of the Lord, of God. And the New Testament does this all the time. Sometimes people get a little concerned and they say, well, where does the New Testament say that Jesus is God in the flesh? There are some verses. There are some verses where it says just that, very, very specifically. But there are many, many more verses that take promises from the Old Testament that God will fulfill, and they apply them to Jesus. So, you may or may not believe that Jesus is God, but it is very clear that the New Testament presents Him as God and does not leave us with some other option. He is God who became one of us. Now, His coming would accomplish two purposes, and we saw this last week. And so we see that this this repeats the idea of last week. What would happen... When, when the Lord comes, well, He would do two things. He would bring salvation, and He would bring destruction. And um, in, some, in some versions of uh, texts of the Old Testament, these verses are switched, because apparently the scribes didn't like it to end on the word destruction. That's how our Old Testament ends, with the word destruction, which means devoting something to God, to be destroyed. And He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So He's coming for salvation. But if salvation is resisted, if salvation is rejected, then the only other option is destruction. And so He's coming. The purpose is salvation. But one of the results of the Lord's coming will be destruction if, if salvation is rejected. Now, the, the Old Testament was looking forward to this. They, they were looking forward to the coming of the Lord. They were looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. They were looking forward to this day because they thought this is what would happen. They thought that the Lord would come and take care of all those bad people out there. All the enemies of Israel would be destroyed. And we, we, Israel, we will be saved. And Malachi and the other prophets say, Wait a minute, Israel. If you act like the nations, you too will be destroyed along with them. Now, Jesus comes. John the Baptist comes. He preaches his fiery sermons of repentance and and imminent destruction and turning to the Lord or, or being destroyed, just like Elijah, just like Malachi, and then Jesus comes. And he surprised, apparently, everybody. Because he didn't seem to be following the program. Because the program is, the Lord comes, and He he saves the good people, and He destroys the bad people. But then Jesus came. And He seemed to get it backwards. He, he, he focused on not the good people, not the religious people, not the righteous people, not the people that were checking off all the boxes. He focused on 
the rejected people. He focused on the poor. He focused on the notorious sinners. And and this just didn't seem to be right. What's going on here? He seems to have gotten the program backwards. Well, you see, we, we can't blame them for being confused by this because they couldn't see something that we can now see. And it's this. They couldn't see that the day of the Lord that they thought was going to come all at once and be done, in the New Testament we find that the day of the Lord comes in two phases. Because Jesus comes not once, but He comes again. And this was the, the surprise. This was the, the, the confusing thing about His first coming because He, he wasn't fulfilling all that the day of the Lord promised to bring, particularly particularly that question of, of the destruction of all who didn't believe in and follow the Lord. And so, what did Jesus do? Why didn't this destruction come? What happened? Why didn't He take out all these bad people, all these unbelievers, all these people who, who weren't following the Lord? Because He had something to do first. And this was the great surprise. And this is the good news for us. Instead of bringing destruction on the evildoers, instead of bringing destruction on the lawbreakers, He allowed the destruction to fall upon Himself. This is the great surprise. That the Lord came, and instead of wiping out evildoers, He gave His life in the place of evildoers, so that when He comes again, they might experience salvation instead of destruction. And so, this this dual coming of the Lord, in which salvation is the, the first priority of His coming, will then be fulfilled in the second coming, in which those who have rejected that salvation, those who have not received that salvation, there will be only one remedy. There will be only one thing left, even as Malachi foretold, even as as the New Testament foretells as well. So, um, so what's our situation here? In some ways, we are in a similar situation to the people in Malachi's day. And in other ways, we're in a radically different situation. What's radically different? Well, the Lord has come. And that's the good news. The Lord has come, and He came to save sinners. Rather than destroying the bad people, He came to save the bad people. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. And we have the privilege of living on the other side of His coming for the salvation of all who will trust in Him. But in other ways, we're very much like in the situation of Malachi's day. Why? Because we are waiting for what the New Testament continues to call the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord has come, and the day of the Lord is coming. And so we're in this inter-period. And we are giving thanks for the fact that God has already come in Jesus to bring us salvation, and He's coming again. Now, how then should we live? How should we respond to this, this, this time between the comings? Two things. The first response is obvious. Believe in Jesus now. Believe in Jesus now while you have time. Believe in Jesus now while the gates of salvation are open. Believe in Jesus now before it's too late. Take advantage of the fact 
that He has already come for sinners to trust in Him and receive salvation. And the second is this, if you have already believed in Him, then live like it. That, that's the constant call. Whenever the, the, the second coming comes up in the, in the New Testament, the emphasis is on how we should live. And we already read in Peter. Peter said, if, if all these things are going to happen in that way, then he asks this question, how? How then should we live in righteousness and in holiness? That's the call to the people of Malachi's day. That's the call to us as well. And with these verses, with this call to believe and to live our faith, with these verses, we end the book of Malachi, we end the book of the Twelve, and we end our Old Testaments. And this this concluding mention of Moses and Elijah is particularly apt, especially when we think of something that happened on a mountain in the New Testament. We call it the Mount of Transfiguration. And you remember Jesus went up on that mountain? Several of the Gospels talk about this. And He took with Him only three of the disciples. He took with, the, the, with, uh, with Him Peter and, and James and John. And He went up on this mountain and, and Jesus was transfigured before Him. And He, he became white and glowing and, and they, they got a glimpse of His glory. And then, we don't know exactly how this was. Was this a vision or, or what, what happened exactly on that mountain? But, but the disciples saw, along with Jesus, who? They saw Moses and Elijah. And they were talking with Jesus. Now, we don't know what they were talking about, but there they were, Peter and James and John. And Peter always wanting to be helpful. And Peter always jumping in with, with great ideas. He says, this is so great that we're here. This is great that we're here because... Because we can make it comfortable for all of you, and and we can build some sort of a shelter for each one of you. And we can hardly blame blame Peter, because here the, the two most famous people from the Old Testament are right there. And there, their master is getting to hang out with Moses and Elijah. And that looks like such a privilege for Jesus to be able to hang out with Moses and Elijah. And Peter says, let's hold on to this moment. Let me build three tents for you. And so we can just freeze right here and, and we can keep this great situation going on. And then there was an interruption to Peter's idea. And the interruption came in a cloud overcoming them. Think about the cloud in the Old Testament. Think about the cloud uh, that, that settled over the temple, God's presence. And this, this cloud comes over them and a voice says from heaven, this is my son. Listen to him. And then the cloud departs. It lifts. And Jesus is by himself. Where the other two go? They disappear. They're gone. Why? Because they did their job. They finished. And it's not that Jesus had the privilege of hanging out with Moses and Elijah. On the contrary, Moses and Elijah had the privilege of preparing the way for Jesus. And here we see Moses and Elijah... They pass off the scene, and Jesus remains standing. Why? 
Because what's the message of the book of Moses? Believe in Jesus. That's what it's pointing to. What's the message of the prophets represented by Elijah? Believe in Jesus. If we would listen to Moses, if we would read what he wrote, if we would listen to the prophets, we would see that they're all pointing forward to Jesus. And so we find this this apt conclusion to the Old Testament. Moses shows up. Elijah shows up. But they're pointing to Jesus. And so we hear the voice out of that cloud. This is the message. Listen to Him. This is God's beloved Son. Listen to Him. Let's pray. Our God, privileged people we are to be in this age of such clarity. There are many things we don't understand, but we do understand that that You've already come, that Jesus is Your Son, that Jesus is God in the flesh, and that He gave His life for the salvation of all who would trust in Him. Thank You that we get to to hear that message preached plainly, not not in shadows and in types and in anticipations like in Moses and in the prophets, but, but clearly and plainly. And I pray, O God, that we would believe while there is time, that we would enter while there's room, and that You would use us to bring others along with us. And O God, I pray for us that that we would learn to live in this interim period, having believed on Jesus, that we would live for Jesus in preparation for His coming again. And we pray, O God, we pray, O God, that not only we would be ready for that day, but that You would use us to help many others to be ready as well. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.